0: This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is presented by LA Wine fest. For tickets and information, go to LAwinefest.com. This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by Well you. To learn how you can support the show, go to theBestSeats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to the first ever episode 88 of the Best Seats podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the hospitality community from right here in Orange County to the rest of Southern California and beyond each and every episode. As always, I am your host, Croft McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. Thank you, as always, to my friend, Allie Coyle, who provides music for the show. It would not sound good without her. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com. As a reminder, if you enjoy the show, please be sure to leave a rating and or a review wherever you are listening to it on free feed, share it on social. It helps other folks discover it as well. You can go to TheBestSeats.com for more content just like this. And do not forget that if you support... Over on patreon.com forward slash the best seats um, at any of the monthly subscription tiers, you get early ad free listening a week before the public, no pesky commercials interrupting the interviews. And that is the only place that you will find the exclusive post show. After each and every episode, I keep the guests around for an additional you know, 15 minutes or so. We kind of shoot the shit and chat and it's just more content from all of these talented people including the incredibly talented guest that I am so happy to welcome for episode 88. That is Culinary Director of Captivate Hospitality, Chef Demetrio Zavala. Um, Captivate Hospitality has a number of properties all throughout the United States, their newest one being right here in Orange County, the very recently opened Solstice over in Irvine. Um, At the time of this recording, Solstice is very much in its infancy. It's only a couple months old, but it's really come out with a bang. Um, A lot of the people that I've talked to have had great experiences there. The food has been really phenomenal. Um, They were able to bring on a really, really good staff right out the gate to get the doors open. Even after a long delayed opening, they were several months behind due to sourcing issues, construction issues, basically the same thing that everybody in the hospitality community is facing. I wanted to get their culinary director on, Chef Zavala, to talk about kind of the ethos behind it. Um, Obviously, he's somebody who isn't going to be there all the time overseeing all other properties. But he's obviously the person that influences kind of the mission behind this restaurant. You know, he kind of puts together the program that the staff is then able to take and, you know, following his kind of expertise and his tutelage and the culture that him and Captivate Hospitality have built really run with it. And like I said, if you haven't been there yet, depending on when you're listening to this episode, go because they have sprinted out of the gate. Um, like I've said, they really embrace seasonality to a really beautiful degree. A lot of chefs in the area do that. It's not uncommon for talented individuals to embrace the seasons, but they really take it to kind of a hyper-focused degree and do a beautiful job executing it. So we were able to hop on a Zoom call. Um, I'm super, super grateful, first of all, for him to be able to take the time. He's a very, very busy guy. When he's not doing this, he is competing all over different kind of Food Network TV shows, including Chop, Beat Bobby Flay, other things like that. Um, He was in Florida at the time of this recording. We were able to hop on a Google chat and record this one. So a digital one. So I apologize for any audio hiccups, although this one actually was really, really smooth. Um, But just an unbelievably talented and smart individual. So I don't want to waste any more time. And by the way, I know I've been promoting him since I launched him at the beginning of the year. But if you have not listened to the bonus episodes yet, head over to Patreon subscribe, even if you just do it for a month. This is a really, really cool bonus episode as well. So that's enough for me. You don't need to hear me talk anymore. You need to hear my guest for episode 88 of the Best Seeds podcast, culinary director of Captivate Hospitality, Chef Demetrio Zavala. Let's jump to it. Chef, thank you so much for jumping on the show. I'm glad we were able to do this. Obviously, you're on the East Coast for this one, so we were able to hop on. I wouldn't have normally set a Zoom call, but they changed their policies, so we're on a Google call, everything just jumping around, doing remote all the different time. Um, But, Chef, very, very excited to talk to you because Solstice is a restaurant that is very much in its infancy out here in Orange County, but you guys are obviously established on the East Coast. But before we kind of jump into all the different things about the restaurant and the East Coast one that I want to talk about, would you mind taking a second to introduce yourself and give a little bit of your background?
1: Yeah, my name is uh, Demetrio Zavala. I'm actually the Culinary Director for Captivate Hospitality, which oversees um, the Solstice Concepts. We have other concepts as well and everything. Um, I've been on Food Network numerous times, uh, won some championships and stuff like that in the past. I uh, went to school Le Cordon Bleu in Paris. So I've, I've been cooking for about 25-plus years. I love what I do. I mean, I do it just because it's the way of me kind of changing people's lives through food
0: um obviously you guys like you mentioned you see you oversee a bunch of different concepts but as far as they kind of relate to us here in california solstice is your latest one you have a sister uh, property in pennsylvania how did the one in pennsylvania come to be because i want to talk about the restaurant and your kind of philosophy on it as a whole but when did the pennsylvania one come to be and then how long until you thought about hey let's not just open one down the road but across the country
1: well, basically, it, the one that came down the road and, uh, was about two, about two years ago. It's been, I mean, we opened the, how about we opened the week before COVID shut down? Oh, God. Yeah, so it kind of <laughs> like, we opened, we had a game buster week, and then we got the notice you had to shut the doors. So it was kind of a very difficult situation at that time because you had no choice but to slow down. So we had, a, we had piles of food yeah. ready for business. So we, we basically cooked for the staff until the food ran out the whole time we uh, that first few weeks that we were open, we were closed.
0: That's absolutely wild. I mean, I'm glad you guys were able to do that. There's a handful of restaurants that did. But being in Pennsylvania, I mean, you know, I know that area. I'm from the East Coast. You know, it's not as it's a little more rural, let's say parts of Pennsylvania. I mean, people more, are more spread out. You know, you actually have trees Ramble. instead of buildings. I mean, how were you guys dealing with that on the East Coast? Because you not only had COVID, you also had something that we don't have here in California, weather you had winter, you had other stuff to deal with. I mean, the fact that you're still standing two years in congratulations is due, but what was that experience like for you?
1: Man, it was unreal. Like you, you didn't know what nobody knew what to do during that time. None of it. So, you know, you tried to go, you tried other things, you know, we did some to go business for a while and we were doing that through COVID just to keep the managers on. I mean, we kept, we kept most, a couple of the cooks, the dishwashers, and we also kept on the chefs as well. And the, and the front of the house managers to go, but it was, an, you know, trial and error for everybody during that time. You see what, you know, what went. Then, you know, you had BeBot with the platforms where people can order. Then you did drinks to go. Then it was just kind of everybody just trying to figure it out. Yeah. But we did, I mean, we, some days were better than others. Like Mother's Day, we were closed and you, it was busy. You did like 500 covers that day and just to go. And that's like a massive amount of covers to do just to go. And you're running it in and out the door.
0: Yeah, that's insane. And the
1: managers are doing it. It's just insane.
0: That's wild. Um, California and, and and I don't want to make it political, but the fact is, is that we've held on to our COVID restrictions longer than most States. Um, when did the concept come about that you wanted to open one out here in Irvine?
1: Well, I know that, um, our CEO was, uh, he, I guess he used to live on that area and Pebble beach. Okay. Yep. And, um, he knows the area really well. He loves, he loves California. And actually one of our chefs that was working for us in the Newtown location he was a he was from that la area and he always talked about you know out there and then mr freeman had some uh some relationships with some people and then they said man we should definitely because the weather's consistent out there and most of the vegetables and vegetables and, and fruits come from california anyway you'll be getting the best of the best whether it's seafood or you know west coast seafood obviously and basically vegetables and fruit in between the obviously between the food, uh, farmers markets and et cetera, a, you're accessible to a lot more out there than you are on the East coast. So they're like, yeah, we should definitely do a California location.
0: I mean, it's, it's one thing to, like you said, open a restaurant the week before COVID. Um, and again, I had a couple of friends who were in the same scenario. So my, my heart goes out to you for that. It's another thing to be building out a restaurant around restrictions and kind of the ever changing landscape of, not just restrictions due to COVID, but also supply chain issues due to, you know, getting what you need to essentially build it. I have friends at work in new home building and they're dealing with the same thing. It's tough not only to get people. I mean, everybody wants to talk about hiring, but you're talking about getting the infrastructure basically just to build out a building. How long did you guys kind of go from brainstorming until actually getting the doors open just recently?
1: Well, I can tell you that we are eight months behind opening because of procurement and materials and everything like that is what drove us eight months behind so the shortage of everything really kind of hurt us in the long run because we you know you put out press that we're going to open we're going to open and then all of a sudden we can't open because we can't get this and this we can't get this we couldn't get the ovens on time the ovens are all of a sudden six months behind it's just everything with you know anything that you wait on as far as procurement wise the materials you're just going to run behind. Like right now, people are building restaurants now. We're talking about building restaurants now. We purchase the, actually the equipment now and to be able to have it in six months. So we're buying it before we even start doing construction.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the way you have to do it nowadays, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, speaking of Solstice specifically, I want to talk about the overall kind of philosophy behind your menu because it's one thing for a restaurant to embrace seasonality you guys are taking it to a very specific degree with, and I know that there's a name for it that I'm going to butcher. um, So I'll let you kind of describe that. Um, But again, can you kind of talk about the entire philosophy behind the menu changes and the seasonality of it and things like that?
1: Well, you know, obviously with everything that's in season, if you have every farmer growing
0: corn, corn's
1: going to be cheaper and nobody's growing asparagus. It's going to be much more expensive. So obviously driving that factor and knowing it, that time of the year it's the best flavor that you can get at one ingredient so we're an ingredient forward concept so that's why we're ever changing so but the idea behind my cooking philosophy is also about maximizing what we can do and appreciate what it took a farmer to grow that vegetable so appreciating the leaves of the of the vegetable appreciating the stem and the actual plant appreciating the peels of what it is so right now currently We had just gotten out of doing celery root tartare, which was made from the peels of celery root, which most people just discard or throw in stock. But it's also about appreciating and respecting the ingredient, not just dicing it up or mashing it up or frying it or anything. It's about truly appreciating what it took someone from the start that they planted to grow it and what it took them and really care for that ingredient and then feature it the best we can. And f- with minimal flavors to put it with so that that vegetable stands out because the cooking is should be whatever that ingredient is should be the star of the dish, not 50 other things on a plate. Yeah, sometimes less is more. Put it that way.
0: Yeah, 100 percent. I'm a huge advocate for kind of zero waste cooking and, and things like that. And again, the I'm reading back over the press release that I was initially sent for it. Um, and I've been into the restaurant. I adore it. I had a fantastic first meal there. Been back a few times. Um, the build-out is phenomenal. The design team did a wonderful job. But it's the Ayurvedic philosophy of, is it riduchara, riduchara, The kind of discipline of eating with the seasons.
1: Yeah, the, the riduchara. So basically it's the, it, and it's like the solstice, the summer solstice. There's mm-hmm. a solstice. Remember how the, it, the, it changes, a seasonal change. So that's where the name came from It stemmed from. So basically, as it changes, the season change, we change.
0: Yeah. Um, We we know we talked about procurement as an issue just with opening a restaurant as far as getting your infrastructure going. But obviously, the number one thing that everybody's dealing with right now are supply chain issues, even if you're sourcing locally, even if you're just bringing it up from Mexico, which we're fortunate enough out here in California, that's right in our backyard to be able to do if you're going to stick to that kind of hardline date of changing with the seasons. Have you guys run into any issues about getting produce and getting product?
1: We haven't run into any issues as far as getting product too much, to be quite honest with you. The only issue we're running to is pricing is
0: yeah, insane. High.
1: Like not, with everything going on with chicken right now, yeah. look, eggs went from $0.07 cents an egg to $0.35 cents for one egg. Yeah. So all that stuff. And then chicken went from two and change to almost, you're almost $5 a pound Yeah. for chicken. So that, I think that's the only areas that we have seen that has been a real issue is like your price, like even butter, butter just went up like crazy. You know, you're paying $106 for a case of butter and then it just went to $142. So it's the pricing is just, and we can't control it because if there's a shortage, you know, and you gotta, you gotta be ahead of the game when it comes to purchasing, because say a company like Cisco, they get 150 cases of butter. Everybody's getting in there as soon as possible to get that butter before it's gone. So If you're not planning correctly in the restaurant business now and not staying on top of your toes, you could be one of the ones that you don't have butter because you got to be, you know, as they say, what the early bird gets the worm, right? It's the same thing with purchasing right now. If you're ahead on your purchases, like if you know that you're going to purchase on Thursday, why not do your purchase order on Wednesday so you don't have to rush to meet the timeline, the deadline time, and to have it in there so that you get first dibs on what they have.
0: I mean, like you said, you've been doing this a number of years. You obviously are incredibly well-versed in the business. Have you ever seen anything like this? I mean, as never. far as these price increases and everything?
1: Never. I've never seen anything as expensive as it is right now. And, and just the way the uncontrollable price change happens from day to day. You know, before you get your prices for a week and everything holds out for about a week. Now it's, it's a ch- the price changes daily. Yeah. Forget about weekly, forget about monthly. It's daily that it changes and it's not just a couple of bucks. It's significant. Like I'll tell you an example. Scallops. Scallops were coming in at 17.95 a pound for U10 scallops, dry packed. They're $45 a pound.
0: Good lord.
1: So you're talking about like profit margins and it's not always the re- we want to do give you the best possible ingredient that we can do. And it's not always about, oh, we got to drive profits and everything. We're not not that type of company that you got to be profit, profit, profit. We want to be able to give guests the best quality ingredient we can find. So, like, we can't raise our prices every other day. We have to stick and own. So then a lot of these restaurants, people don't understand, they take a massive hit because of these prices increase. Because they can't always turn it on to the customer right away because – it just you just can't do that. It's so inconsistent in the guests, and guests are like, "I was just here yesterday, and I paid you know thirty two dollars for something. Now you want to charge me forty two? Then it just causes inconsistency." You know, yeah. people that go out like consistency.
0: True, but I mean, I've been an advocate for a while that menus have been too cheap. I mean, based on just labor costs, and obviously now we're dealing with massive, oh. massive influxes in product costs and things like that. I mean, and yes, you don't want to shock your customers because a lot of people do go out for that consistent experience. But I mean, I kind of feel like we're reaching an inflex point where maybe that menu is going to be changing day to day, more kind of on like it does in those smaller kind of European style cafes and things like that. Is that something that the industry could handle? Or do you think that we do have to just stick to that kind of slow, gradual increase, like you said?
1: No, I think the industry will have to change. I also think the industry is going to have to relook really look at like portioning and how big of something we do. Because yeah. I think at the end of the day, us as people that are in this industry and chefs and everything, we want to give people an experience and we want them to dine. We don't want them. We want them to appreciate all the different dishes that we did and appreciate all these dishes and the different flavors and different contrasts instead of just giving them one plate of food because we failed them for the experience. We gave them one plate of food and that's all they thought basing us on when they didn't know, try everything. Remember, going out to eat should be a dining experience, not just a fill ourselves.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I really enjoyed when I dined at Solstice was a, I was surprised at the menu prices. I thought they would actually be higher given kind of everybody else in the competition that's open in the area, but also b. your portion sizes were dead on. Perfect. When you're developing menus um, as the culinary director, what's the R and D process like to kind of from start to finish for that menu to finally be ready for the public?
1: Well, it depends on like, I, I pick out my ingredients first. So I take my ingredient and then I basically say, okay, for let's say spring. Let's talk about spring right now. So asparagus. Most people cut the bottom of the asparagus off. What can I do with that that can enhance something else? Is it a cold asparagus soup? Is it a fishy swine that we do for our – we currently give away for our amusee? So when you sit down, you get an asparagus fishy swine with a lemon-lemon puree and a little bit of, uh, of sour cream and then a brown butter crumble. That's something we give for free. So instead of discarding that, what can I do with it? What, what can I do the asparagus and how can I implicate that and use it in multiple purposes, whether it's shaved, whether it's grilled, whether it's pickled, whether it's poached? What can I do for the first bottom three inches? Can I rondelle them and put it in a salad? Mm-hmm. How can I maximize the use of each vegetable and each ingredient I do? So for the short rib, when I bring it in, you know that you got to make perfect squares on them, but there is some trim. So what do we do? We do it in our popper dell. When I think about I want to maximize so there's no waste as much as possible, that's how I do it. Like i got to have an outlet for the trim on everything, every vegetable, every fruit, every everything. So like everybody peels oranges. They take their orange peel and they do nothing. I make marmalade. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's like there's a use for everything.
0: Yeah, exactly. I know I'm already thinking cause your bar team, out. at least at this location, is so talented. You take those peels, you make an oleosaccharum or just do something exactly. with it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you can ferment them. You can make shrubs. You can yep. put them in, do different things. It's just so many things I think us as people that have been in the restaurant business that I see, they underutilize things and they just discard so much and so much waste. I think as a restaurant and as a whole and you know, just being in the United States and just being around this industry – if we can appreciate and learn how to utilize more and discard less.
0: Well, I mean, to play devil's advocate to that, though, as much as I agree with it, you're also talking about more time in the kitchen, which means more staff, and the number one thing that everybody's talking about seems to be labor shortages. Now, the one thing I was shocked about when I went to your location, and I think this is in no small part to your GM, uh, Katie Pavkov, was you guys had a ton of people in your kitchen. I mean, you did not seem short-staffed at all for this location. I mean, how are you guys faring, kind of as a company as a whole? Are you seeing this at other properties throughout the U.S.? I mean, I, I can't imagine this is just isolated to a California restaurant industry issue.
1: No, I tell you what, we hired the full staff and the kitchen staff in Orange County in three days.
0: That's astonishing. I, yeah, it, I have a, have, I have a lot, lot of I have a lot of chef friends who are listening that just rolled their eyes like, no way.
1: Yeah, but we have we like I said, these a couple of these guys worked in that market. They worked in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of these guys came worked for Del Frisco's in the past, so they knew a lot of people in the area. And, you know, most of our most of our employees are Latino and, you know, that's that that market has a great deal amount of them and they all want to work. Yeah. But I can tell you on the East Coast, man, it's hard.
0: Yeah, I believe that. It's
1: hard on the East Coast. People there's not many people out there to work. You will get one one resume maybe a day. And then the one that you get and you call them, they don't show.
0: God, that's insane. I can't even imagine. Well, it's time for a little commercial. Yeah. It's all too common that the best seats receives messages asking for recommendations. Where to go to lunch? Where's the best happy hour? Where should I get dinner? How should I spend my weekend? Well, one of the best ways that I can think of is drinking wine being among friends, listening to music, and constantly having a smile on my face. That's why I'm excited to tell you about LA Wine Fest. The 17th annual LA Wine Fest presented by Hotel Maya, Waters Edge Winery, and Welk's Resorts heads to Long Beach June 4th and 5th at Harry Bridges Memorial Park. Enjoy unlimited wine tastings from more than 50 award-winning wineries from around the globe, plus craft brews, hard ciders, and more. The Waterfront Park location provides a perfect space to taste wine where live music, fun, and wine education all come together for a glorious two days for tickets and more information. You can go to LAWinefest.com. I know that I'm going to go there and enjoy the heck out of it. I recommend you do the same. And once again, for tickets and information, that's LA I don't know about you, but 2020 had me relooking at how I live and the space that I live in spending so much time at home really had me reevaluating how certain things worked and didn't in my living space. One of the main things as an avid home cook, and an obvious supporter of restaurants, was gardening. Anybody who enjoys food at all will be able to tell you that something you've grown yourself will taste infinitely better than anything you can buy at a store. That's where Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potage comes in. Heirloom Potage designs, installs, and maintains seasonal culinary gardens for chefs and foodies in Orange County. They provide organic gardening methods and bespoke build-outs used to preserve the heirloom varietals that they'll provide for seeds. An approachable and exciting endeavor, no matter if you're a seasoned restaurateur or a stay-at-home chef, owner Ashley Irene's experience, expertise, and enthusiasm is only matched by her professionalism. For more information on how you can set up a consultation to get your own culinary garden space set up, go to heirloompotager.com. That's heirloom, A-G-I-R-L-O-O-M, potage, P-O-T-A-G-E-R.com today. Once again, that's heirloompotager. If you listen to the best seats at all, or read the content, then you know the motto, live well and often. But what does it mean? In layman's terms, it's trying to give you the best products, places, experiences, and more, so you can put a big smile on your face every single day. Amass Botanics is what I use on my back bar constantly if I need a cocktail or a quick pick-me-up. Any of their other botanical products, like candles, hand sanitizer, and more, also helps to set the mood. Now, I'm a big fan of everything that Amass does. I have been since day one when they launched their trademark gin and everything they've done since then has been nothing short of excellent. Now you can get your hands on their products at a discounted rate by going to amass.com and using the discount code THE Best seats 15 that's C-E-A-T-S at checkout. Now it's limited one per customer so make sure you load up but trust me, you can't go wrong with anything they're doing. I stand by Amass 100%. They're one of my go-to brands for spirits needs or anything around the house. So again, go to Amass.com, that's A-M-A-S-S, and use the code THEBESTSEATS15 at checkout. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. It's insane. I can't even imagine. The East Coast, I mean, must just be such a different animal unless you're in one of the major cities or something. Because again, California is basically one big city separated by a couple of military bases and some farmland. I mean, the East Coast, obviously, it's just a bunch of small towns where the you know welcome sign on the backside says, thanks for coming. So I can only imagine how tough that must be. Um, you mentioned that you've done a lot of time, kind of different kind of food network competitions and things like that. Culinary TV has changed so much over the past, even just five years. Um, as somebody who has had experience in the media of that, now that we're coming on the other side of it, one of the big conversations is how are we covering restaurants from a media standpoint, whether it's TV, magazine, things like that? Um, what are some of the changes you hope to see on the media side of things as far as how we cover the industry?
1: I, I, think, I think the media could work on a little bit more of like what it really takes to make that dish of food from start to finish more appreciation. Because everybody I speak to just in the public will ask, oh, you're a chef? Oh man! All you do is work. You work hard, and and I, I think it, if they explain, it's deeper than that. Like most people who are chefs, they're working from their heart. Their they their plate of food is their heart. It's their love. They love that. That's their love. So maybe if I think a more of appreciation for what it is and what that craft is
0: mm-hmm.
1: could be perceived or or put a position differently than what it is currently because. It takes a lot of work, yes, a lot of R&D, a lot of thought process, but it is just as intricate as being an accountant, being a lawyer. you got to be thoughtful. you got to research. You have to do the same things as you're preparing for a case to go to court. you got to research information, see what's modern out there, see the vegetables out there, taste them, burn them, pickle them. There's a lot of things, steps you go through to get to where that final dish and just help people understand, we started here, but this is where we are, just like Wow, that's just so amazing. Like, there's a big difference. I've worked in Europe and I've worked in the U.S. People in Europe take it like that and have so much respect for what chefs do. Sometimes I find here people, all they say is, this, oh, it's hard work. And, all that, and that's all they relate it to is it's hard work. And, and Or they say that most people who do it just don't know what they want to do in life. Yeah. That, that's not exactly yeah. a it's no. They're like, a oh, freak. it's not a
0: real job. You're like, no, it yes. is. Yeah
1: it's a career. It really is because when you invest yourself completely into it, it's a lot of work that goes into it. Like when I talk about dishes, I I take one thing and I do anything I can do with it between fermenting it. Koji's basically, you know, I pickle it, I'll burn it. I'll salt it. I'll brine it. I'll do everything I can to see like, what can I do to intensify that flavor or make it in layers of flavor? So if I make you a dish with something, And you don't tell me like wow what was in that it's not worth putting on the plate
0: that's completely fair yeah and i love that approach to it that kind of just passionate take on it um you know to that point you're somebody with a more of a classically trained kind of experience over in paris like you mentioned one of the big issues that people are having hiring is a lot of people have left the industry um just here in orange county alone we've had a lot of chefs move on a lot of bartenders have moved on to either be on-prem reps or they've moved on to different careers um a lot of people got out of it because whereas regardless of what state you were in for however long your shutdown kind of quote unquote was basically everybody got a forced vacation even if you were working from home you were still at home chefs and culinary professionals did not everybody was working like you said i mean your mother's day alone you mentioned 500 covers to go mother's days already a bitch of a service and you're doing them now to go i mean that's insane you know yeah, yeah. what what's it going to take to get people not just back in but educated because i don't know if people have time to do that kind of classic education route like yourself and, you know, other kind of industry professionals. How are you approaching kind of education in your kitchens?
1: Well, what I'm doing now is like the people that want to come to work, we build a growth plan for them now. So the growth plan would be, okay, here's where you are. And here's where I want to see you in six months. And here's how we're going to get you there. You know, it's investing in those people, showing compassion and showing you care. So example, the gentleman that's the, the chef at Orange County,
0: mm-hmm.
1: he started with us as just a, as, as a sous chef and before he was just a line cook. So and we just invest in him and put him on growth plans and tell him what we needs to do, whether it's financial side and on food side where he's mastered the financial side. Now it's just getting him on food side. And he's getting there and we're just putting it's investing in your people like that. But just that touch not just standing back on the phone and calling them and saying, hey, what are you doing today and whatever? It's the physical touch and care for people in this industry to show, you know what, I care. Forget about asking about how's the business or reaming them out about the business, but just say, how are you doing today? How is your family? How are you holding up? Are you doing okay? I appreciate what you're doing. I see that you worked a lot of hours last week. You know, I, I truly appreciate your dedication and hard work. It means a lot to me. And then just talk about other things instead of just saying, you're not doing this, you're not doing that, you're not doing this. Craft it in another way where you're saying, okay, we have some difficulties on this, but let's see how we can improve it. Let's come up with a plan together to get you where you need to be instead of just coming down on people. People don't respond to the hardness anymore. They just don't.
0: Yeah. yeah. So
1: it's, it's all, if you want to retain people, it's your approach and how you treat them and your culture overall.
0: That's fantastic to hear. I'm a, a very big advocate for kind of proper cultures like that. Um, you know, obviously, I think some people kind of have a, I don't know if rom- romantic notion is the right word for kind of that old school brigade style kitchens, but you're right, it has transitioned and it, just, it it doesn't work anymore. I mean, outside of your kind of 11 Madison parks, it just doesn't translate to how everybody's kind of working their operations. Um, I'm a very, very big advocate for not just talking to or about kind of the head chef or the owner. Um, I'm a big fan of celebrating everybody in the kitchen, whether it's just your line cook, you know, your sue, whoever it is, you know, your bar back for that matter, whatever aspect it is, what kind of guests and I guess rope this back to media as well how can they do a better job of not just recognizing, you know, the chef on the front of the menu, but kind of everybody who contributes to a dish and to the overall kind of menu at a restaurant.
1: Well, I think it's going to start with the chef. And then, you know, actually I wanted to touch base on the whole 11 Madison comic because I staged at 11 Madison and that's changed too. He's changed Good. too, and, and And so did Eric repair. Yeah. I've I know Eric's know did as well. Yeah. Yes. They've all changed. So like I give you example, if anybody has an outburst at La Bernardin, they stop service and they make that person apologize to the whole staff. That's awesome. For the so the, it changes. They've all changed. Eleven Madison, there's no screaming, no yelling, no nothing like that at all compared to what it used to be back in the day. So it, everybody has changed because they want to retain people.
0: Good. That's great.
1: So it, it is. It is a significant thing that, that I can say that's very unique. Now, what, recognizing other people in the industry that work with you instead of just the chef, I find that falls upon the chef. I'll tell you why. So what I end up doing when, cause I, I had some restaurants in DC, it's about how you cultivate your people. So let's say the grill guy today. Hey, you know, I, my guy was Freddie. I wanted to, I want to make some specials tomorrow and I want you to, you to be you and I together. I want you to make this sauce and this sauce, and we're going to do this sandwich or this sandwich. And we're, I want you to do it tomorrow and let's taste the flavors and let's do one. We'll do it for, and then I bring them out to pre-shift and talk about Freddie made a special. Um, you know, we made it together, but Freddie's going to be cooking it today and let's do it. Let's do some justice for him and, and make sure and let people know when they come in and they say, well, I enjoyed this sandwich. Well, our cook Freddie on the grill, he's the one that made it. That's awesome. So if you ever, you ever hear, you know, that Freddie made that sandwich for you. So instead of just sitting there and saying an I, I, I situation, it's a wee situation. Yeah. We and everybody in the, in the kitchen, gets a self-glorification because that's what we do things. Sometimes we go to the gym because there's an end result. We got a self-glorification. We make a great dish. There's an end result and it's a self-glorification and they feel they can, you know what? Those people have worked for me in DC for 12 years.
0: That's awesome. That's phenomenal. I love that. Um, getting back here to orange County to solstice, um, you know, the restaurant media group out here in Orange County specifically, obviously Los Angeles is its own animal and so is San Diego, but it's a small community. There has not been a lot of... I haven't heard anything short of a lot of praise for Solstice. The menu has been killer. Um, it, I think by the time you guys opened... It was like three weeks until you've already switched the spring menu. I'm sure summer is probably already in R&D close to the corner.
1: It's already done. I'm already done.
0: Perfect. See, it's it's, it's God. You guys move fast. It's, by the time people are going to listen to this episode, they will be like, "What do you mean the winter menu's out?" Um, how important it is. Well, I guess how important is it to get that initial praise? But also, I'm a big proponent of when somebody goes and they review a restaurant, it gets a great review. Maybe maybe like six months in, right? people don't often kind of go back and revisit places or kind of update reviews and things like that. As far as food media goes, there's so much noise that you have to fight through with, unfortunately, things like you know, Yelp and things like that and kind of everybody's a critic. How important is it for food journalists specifically to continue to revisit places and talk about them and, and kind of update on the progressions?
1: It's very important because maybe their first, ri- their first uh, review wasn't that great, so let them come back and see, wow, these guys have really gotten their things together. They're putting out some really great food. It's very important because in, PR is so important now in restaurants because when I came up in restaurants, there was no PR. There was like your local newspaper and yeah. a few magazines, and that's it. Now it's become the heartbeat of restaurants is PR. And if you can't get consistent PR, you just fall off the radar of people. So it's, I think, especially at journalists and people who either write for Eater or Thrillist or your local magazines or local newspapers or local places, I think it's very important for them to revisit locations instead of just going to new ones all the time because those locations are the ones that are constantly contributing to your city. Yeah, Those are the ones that employ people that need jobs. And then all besides that, they need to – and those people are spending money in the community to give back too. So why wouldn't you invest in taking the time to have a meal there again and say, wow, I viewed this place, it was great, it's still great, you should definitely check it out. You, How, know, it allows, you can't let the, your buzz dies. You know the restaurant business, it's either in or out. you yep. got one shot.
0: Yep, it's cyclical and, it's, and it changes at the drop of an Instagram post. It's insane. It, it's it's yes, unfair sir. to a lot of people too. Um, what can chefs and owners do to combat kind of the, the everybody's a critic Kind of social media pages. I mean, because it's not just Yelp. People do it on Google. They do it kind of on all, all over the place. But how can people kind of combat the, the digital critic?
1: Well, I think what you do is, you know, as they say, and this is probably old fashioned, you got to kill them with kindness with a response. You should also, no matter if it's negative, if it's great, if it's indifferent, always respond with kindness and respect. Thank you for visiting. We appreciate your feedback. And now there's something to learn from every visit, but then there's some that just maybe are other people working at other restaurants and they do it on purpose. Well, still constantly because people will see your response, say, thank you for visiting. We appreciate your feedback and we look forward to having you again soon or whatever the case, kill people with kindness. Because if you go down the negative role and say, Oh yeah, I can't believe you wrote, then it's just going to be a tit for tat. You want to be, you want to always take the upper hand and always be the one to come out and say, I appreciate it. And be, Because at the end of the day, we're appreciative of everybody who comes in the restaurant. Whether you make a bad review or a good review or anything, we're appreciative anyway. To get them in the door is the first step. And then we have to do our jobs. And if they felt like it wasn't, we learn from their comments and we go back forward and say, like, we really, truly appreciate your feedback. Because that's what makes us better. I, like, I'm, I'm a person that... I don't really thrive myself on things that everybody says, oh, this is great. This is great. I want to know what's not so great so I can fix it. So I don't want to be just good. I want to be great.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. Solstice is, uh, out here in Irvine is still very much in its infancy, only a couple months old. Um, as the restaurant continues to grow you know aside from you know the dishes and the cocktails and the wine list, which is phenomenal um, and just all of that extra square footage that you guys have available to use kind of in that building center where it's at, what can kind of people look forward to as the restaurant continues to grow and evolve
1: Well, the food's going to evolve we're going to still constantly go with modern times and modern things and keep going we 're not going to just stay on one base of We're going to serve great food, but we're also going to go stay up with the times, whether it's fermentation, kojis, everything like that, and still fold it into what we're doing. And we're also going to make some dishes that are kind of local to that area, because I know, you know, um, part of my family being Mexican, living in Mexican, and they live in the Arizona area that we all have a lot of like. Mexican influence, so there's, a, you know, we like to play with that kind of food too, as well in that area, and it seems like it's appreciated a lot in that area. Yeah, hundred
0: percent, hundred percent. So we're
1: definitely not afraid or shy of venturing out and doing different things, whether it's making our own tortillas. But if we're going to make our own tortilla, we're not going to do just a regular tortilla. Maybe we're going to do a nettle tortilla. Maybe we're going to do a ramp tortilla. Maybe we'll do a morel. Or maybe we'll actually do a black truffle tortilla made out of shea black truffles. You know, we're not going to stay just basic and give you something you can get at the store.
0: That's, I, I know this is an audio only podcast, but I'm about to light a cigarette. That sounds so damn good. Wow, that sounds awesome. Um, I know it's impossible to ask this question only being a few months in. Obviously, the real test of a restaurant is when you've kind of gotten your feet under you after a couple of years. But from your standpoint as culinary director, how do you think the opening of solstice out here in Irvine has gone so far?
1: I'm, I think it's gone very well. The team there has done an amazing job, and they're they're working hard yeah uh, you got some of those guys working sixty seventy hours a week, and they're invested in and that's great to see and they they love what they do and they love the restaurant uh, between the management, Katie and you got chef Dave in there and you got Julio in there they're all working in the kitchen, and then you got uh Dylan and you also got Chris in the front of the house mm-hmm. they're putting in the time and the hours and everything they need to do to be successful because you know in the beginning you gotta work like crazy else oh a hundred percent you know to get your hands around any situation that could occur so that you can eventually be so now you're prepared for every situation. Yeah.
0: Well that's awesome to hear. Um Chef, we're gonna wrap up this main episode. I'm gonna keep you around for a Patreon only exclusive post show because there's a couple of more questions that I want to ask you. But for anybody who is listening over on Free Feeds, um if they want to check out Solstice if they're in the area, learn more about you guys as a culinary group uh, websites, kind of social media, stuff like that. Where can people do that at? And if they want to find they you can, as well.
1: Yeah, they can go to, you know, they can go to uh, basically uh, solstice.com in Orange County. That can be their website there. Um, my Instagram Chef Zavala. Uh, that's my Instagram so You'll see some of the food that's created and everything's all on my Instagram. Um, and then also Orange County, they also have Solstice OC. Have, they have their own uh, Instagram handle as well. You can see some of the dishes, some of the events coming up. We do do basically like uh, solstice events, meaning like for summer we'll do a big event and we'll do a, a, a tasting menu of all the new ingredients coming up for summer and we'll invite people in. Same thing for fall. We do it for winter. We do it for spring. So they'll have like a preview menu kind of thing. And basically you get like four or five courses and you get to try different things in the menu coming up.
0: That's awesome. I love that. Well, again, chef, I'm going to keep you around for an extra episode, but thank you so much for the time on this one. I'm very, very excited. Um, We get a lot of new restaurant openings, and it's a wonderful thing to get them after everything that 2020 was, and and Solstice is a great one. So we're very happy to have you guys in our backyard.
1: Thanks for having us today. We appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much to Chef Zavala for hopping on the show. Um, Like I said, he's an unbelievably busy guy, so for him to take the time out of his day and give me kind of an hour of it really, really means the world. Um, If you haven't checked out Solstice yet and you live in the area, I, I know that the majority of listeners are local to Orange County or at least Southern California. Go check it out. They've been really busy ever since they opened their doors. They at the time of this recording are just a couple of weeks into a new menu, probably getting ready to launch a new one or I'm sorry about to launch a new one for summer, but it's a really, really cool spot. Thank you again to chef for taking the time. Thank you to Ali Quill who provides music for the show. Thank you to everybody that does subscribe on Patreon. You make this show possible. Uh, Last month was the biggest month to date for the best seats on Patreon. Thank you to all the advertisers who help support tell your friends there is even more exclusive content and interviews coming um, super super excited the bonus episodes have been huge thank you to everybody that made last month the biggest for the best seats love each and every one of you make sure to tip your bartenders and your servers be nice to each other give a crisp high five to somebody who's working hard running food and in the kitchen it's a fun one out there I'll see you soon take care the best seats podcast is an original production of the best seats it is written edited produced and owned by myself Crawford McCarthy founder and principal of the best seats it's based in Orange County California it is subsidized through generous monthly donations at patreon.com forward slash the best seats. The following are the names of those who subscribe to the highest monthly tier, aka Norm Status, and allow me to continue producing this show each and every month. As a thank you for their continued support, here are the names. Shale McCarthy, Serena Warino, George Pavlov, Eric Lutz, Paige Reardon, Loco Lipo, Tim Falk, Burrito Norito, Sarah Hines, Subtle Bubbles, Jay Baker, Tim Swine, John Sanchez. Thank you for your support.